today on CityCast Chicago. Dr. Eve Ewing is an award-winning sociologist, professor, poet, and one of my favorite authors. She's written about everything from the effects of the city closing 50 public schools to the Marvel comic character Riri Williams, a.k.a. Ironheart. Her poetry collection, 1919, about the Chicago race riots during that year, has been adapted for the stage as Steppenwolf. Eve is in the building to talk about it all. It's Monday, October 17th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. We'll kind of start off talking about uh, 1919 as well as the pl- uh, as well as the play, and then I'll ask some other questions um, about you know Electric Arches anniversary. It is the Electric Arches five year anniversary. I didn't think about that till you said it, so I need to kind of I'm kind of in awe now thinking about that. So let's let's get into it. What was happening during 1919 in Chicago during that hot July? Number one, the Great Migration was happening. Um, And so, you know, Chicago's Black population tripled in a very short period of time. Um, You know, at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, there weren't a lot of Black people in Chicago. Um, But as we started getting into the 1910s, that changed very rapidly. And at the same time, Black people were serving in World War One and then coming back from World War One, and, you know, demanding respect, demanding the respect that we usually afford to veterans in our in our culture. Something that's always important to remember about migrant communities is that, you know, um, choosing to leave your home, choosing to leave everything you know uh, and go to another place that you've never seen is not something everybody has the courage to do. I'm not sure it's something that I could have done or that I could do, um, you know, not only are black people coming to Chicago in new numbers, but also the type of person who leaves the South and who says, you know, I'm going to get up on out of here. This is not working for me. I'm going to go to a place that I've never seen that I've heard is really cold. Um, I'm going to get on a train Mm -hmm. and and make a a train. I was like, I'm going to say, get on a train that I'm not sure exactly where it is. I don't know where it's going. I'm going to make a new life for myself. That's a certain type of person. And, uh, you know, will not surprise anybody to hear that many white Chicagoans were not having it. And so Mm -hmm. those were all of the kind of preconditions that led to what will become this incredibly violent moment in 1919. July 27th, 1919. Uh, Eve, who is Eugene Williams and when did you first learn about him? Eugene Williams was a young black boy. He was 17 years old. Um, And he, you know, part of what I write about in the book is like so many black people of all ages um, who have become famous, you know, today we know them as, as hashtags, right? People become famous as hashtags. But Prior to the invention of the hashtag, throughout history, there's been these black people that I would always say, there should have been no reason for us to learn their name, right? I wish I had never heard of Eugene Williams. I wish I had never heard of Emmett Till. I wish I had never heard of Laquan McDonald. I wish that they had had the privilege of leading a boring and unremarkable life. Yeah, what, what did Fatima say? I wish them only a mundane life. Right. I wish that you got it. You know, my dear friend, uh, Fatima Oscar, the poet, she says, I I wish them only a mundane life. Eugene Williams was a 17 year old boy. Um, He was swimming in Lake Michigan on this very hot day, July 27th. Um, You know, all Chicagoans can picture that you've had a day like that before. Right. When it's it's really too hot to do much of anything. The beach on Lake Michigan um, was unofficially segregated. There was a, a, a white side. There were lines in the water. There were lines in the water. Right. Which is deep when you think about it. It's You know, part of what's so disturbing about segregation is, you know, the lands and the waters that we inhabit, 
um, to draw borders across them seems crazy, right? It seems wild to, Mm -hmm. how can you say that there's a border in the water, you know? And, you know, roughly between like 29th and 31st, what we, you know, around now where's 31st Street Beach, um, we know that Eugene was in the water. We know that. Uh, we, we know that a group of young white people uh, were on the shore of the water and that they were throwing rocks, um, that they were throwing rocks at black people who were swimming. And we don't know if Eugene was hit in the head with a rock. We don't know if um, he saw them throwing rocks and became too scared to get out of the water. He stayed in the water, you know, as it was no longer till exhaustion, till exhaustion, till it was no longer safe for him to do so. But one way or the other, he drowned. Um, He was killed. And, um, and I think about that, you know, this is something I think about every time I pass that spot on Lake Michigan, you know, um, that these are, this is, this is hallowed ground. And so after that happened, um, black people, uh, on the, on the beach witnessed it. They saw what happened and, um, there was a police officer there and they said, you know, we see the, the man who threw the rocks. You need to arrest that man. Yeah. We point him out to you. We'll point him out to you. You know, he's right there. Arrest him. The officer refused to arrest him. Um, and the crowd became very upset and unhappy. And, you know, that basically that moment is, is what began, uh, the race riot in Chicago of of 1919. It was a period in history that even myself as a big Chicago history nerd, Chicago public school, you know, former Chicago public school teacher, I'm a professor, you know, I make it my business to know a lot about black Chicago history. And it was something that at the onset of this project, um, it kind of just stumbled into it as you were doing work for another project. Exactly. And I thought, you know, why don't, why don't I know more about this? Why isn't this something that people are talking about more? And so, you know, that's basically how the book was born. In the weeks following the murder of Eugene, uh, we saw, you know, dozens of people lose their life. We saw angry white mobs attack indiscriminately black people uh, on buses and streetcars, riding, shooting through their neighborhoods. How do you synthesize that information into what is a very moving and and like deeply complex collection of poems? Wow. Thank you for that. I mean, that's very kind. I started thinking about people who lost their lives in the spaces that we frequent every single day without thinking about it. Um, one of the stories in um, researching this that hit me the hardest was a young black man who was downtown in the loop. Um, and they say, you know, in the archives, it, he was on Adams, right? So kind of like by the Art Institute, he's in the loop and literally a mob of white people just comes down the street, just just looking for black people to beat up. And he ran into a restaurant looking for shelter, looking for safety. Um, and they came in and, you know, they didn't find enough black people to beat up. So they start smashing dishes. They start destroying property in the restaurant. He runs out and they're, he's running. He's running for his life. And one young man stepped out into the street as he was running away, pulled out a pulled out a weapon and shot him in the back and killed him. And then they robbed his, his lifeless corpse. And, and robbed his lifeless court, right? Robbed his, his body as he laid there in the street. And think about how many thousands of people go through the loop every day. Think about how many people go to the Art Institute every day. And I'm not saying that we can't, you know, go enjoy beautiful things and beautiful places in our city. But, you know, again, this is hallowed ground. And even for myself, I reflected on all the times I've been at that intersection, you know, and, and thinking about... Um, the spirits, the ghosts, the legacies, the ancestors, however you want to think about it, that are in that space. How do I, how do I pay homage to them? How do I recognize, you know, a life was lost here. And the reason why I said, okay, let me try to write some poems is because 
is not that I want you to read it and come away with all every single you know, date and time and fact and name, because you can look that up. That information is widely publicly available. Um, what I want is for people to take a moment to grieve and to remember and to reflect uh, our neighbors. These are our neighbors who are separated from us by time and space, but, but they were here. And um, that's really what I hoped um, people would get from the book. So that kind of guided my, guided my approach. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Your Afrofuturistic writing style really folds time on itself. And the ways you do that, whether it's the poem coming from the stockyards, which Max Thomas performs on the stage, or whether it's in the book, the... The, the train speaking, that train that brought migrants from the South, so much of it is visual. I can see it as I read it. Did you ever imagine, even before Jay Nicole Brooks adapted it for the stage, did you ever see it as a play? Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, you're so nice to me that, um, I, you know, your check is in the mail. So I appreciate everything you're saying. About the, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm shaking my head because um, this book was the hardest of my books to write. Um, I've written uh, five books, but this is this was the hardest book for me to write. And it was so, you know, everything we're discussing right now. Um, is, is, was it subject matter? Yeah. Was it the time? Was it the- okay. All of the above. I mean, you know, even the discussion you and I are having, it's taxing to think about these things, right? It's, it's hurtful. It's, it's hurtful. And I also, you know, each poem in the book is in conversation with uh, an excerpt from this archival text from 1922 called The Negro in Chicago, um, which was basically a report commissioned by the state to figure out, well, why did this riot happen? How can we prevent it? And that's all well and good. It was a cool idea, but the report is like 800 pages long. And so, so I was like, okay, I have to write a book. I have to do it in a short period of time. By the time the book came out, I was so exhausted by the whole process that I felt a little bit melancholy because I was like, you know, honestly, I'm really proud of this book. I think it's really good. And I also don't have any energy to usher it into the world. Because this is an industry where, you know, you have to be out here. You know, me and my good friend, Nate Marshall, always joke, like, you know, everything short of being on the red line, throwing books at people is what will, you know, stand at the exit of 9094 trying to get people to buy books through the window. Like, you know, that's that's kind of how we have to be out here. Like, it's a tough market. And so, um, like you, I got to see the play with young people in the room. And um, 
it's it's beyond a dream come true. And, you know, just to shout out in particular, you use the example of, you know, Max performing, um, you know, one of the coming from the stockyards where he's basically embodying, um, you know, the voice in this poem is a black person employed at the Union stockyards and that this speaker had been a, a teacher in the South, uh, in Georgia, um, and on the train ride home, on the streetcar ride home, he's holding a book and he's reminiscing, he's missing his students, he's missing the kids that he taught back home. And he has a moment, um, he has a kind of exchange with a white child who sees the book that he's holding and his face lights up um, before his mother's like, don't, don't look at that man, right? Don't look at him. To see it actually played out as a scene, you know, with the cast playing these different roles was... Um, you know, uh, I thought my heart might explode. <laughs> you know, I started to, I started <laughs> to worry for my physical health. I was like, I don't know if I can, my heart can handle this. It was just amazing. I want to get to this idea of this production, this heavy, haunting scene in Chicago's history. You know, marketed to young people as a as an educational tool, happening inside this posh Lincoln Park theater that is Steppenwolf. When you think of all of those intersections coming together, can can you speak to to you know why this is the right time and the right place? I'm really excited because in addition to the month of performances that are happening all this month, some of which are open to the public and some of which are are designed for field trips for young people. Um, but in addition to that, it's also going to be performed in juvenile detention centers across the city um, and the region. And it's also going to be performed at the park district. Um, and that's really powerful for me. How I learned how to do what I do is largely through community spaces collaboration and, and institutions around the city um, and peers. And so, you know, I was a young person who was raised in what is now known as After School Matters, what what was then known as Gallery 37. You know, that was my that was my first job. I, I made five fifteen an hour, you know, um, to, to be in a, a city, a city program, you know, a, a city program for, for young Chicagoans. And I met other young people from across the city that were also serious about what they did. You know, I was 14. And to me, meeting, I remember meeting a 16 year old who's like, I'm a playwright. You know, not I want to be a playwright, not I'm interested, like I I am a playwright and, you know, dead serious, dead serious. That culture, you know, of like, this is what we do. This is who we are. And, you know, I grew up in young Chicago authors where a lot of my best friends and collaborators to this day are people that I met through that experience. And so that's all to say that I want every young person who goes in that theater to be like, this is for me. I was invited here. I'm welcome here. I'm the star. This is about me. I might come back sometime. I want I want young people to be like, oh yeah, I've been there. I know where that is. That's that's for me. And also for those who go out and see it in the park districts, right? I also want Chicagoans to feel like they don't have to leave their neighborhood to get something great, to experience something great. Your first collection, Electric Arches, which, of course, I also got over here. I appreciate uh, you. <laughs> it turned five years old a month ago. Uh, what have you learned most from Electric Arches since it published? Wow, no one's asked me that before. You know, um, I really didn't think anybody would read this book, Jacoby. I, <laughs> I thought... I, I believe I, it more I, on this one. I'm not going to lie. I believe it more book. on this yeah, one. Yeah, you know. He was on The Daily Show by the time 1919 came out. Yeah, my G. no. Okay, fair. <laughs> sure. But, you know, the poetry industry is not always booming. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, the book is... Um, it's autobiographical. It's very autobiographical. But... 
what I didn't feel like I had at the time was I didn't feel like I heard or read or encountered a lot of joyful poems about Black womanhood, nor did I encounter a lot of acknowledgments of Black girlhood. Um, you know, a, a book that's very important to many Chicagoans is Sandra Cisneros' The House on Mango Street, right? And I really appreciate that book because it's about kind of this liminal space of trying to be a girl in a world that wants you to be grown, you know? Um, and I didn't, I didn't hear enough and see enough of that type of work. And I said, you know, I really want to write poems, not just about hard things and bad things. I want to write poems about what feels possible. And I, I guess what I learned, what I've learned since then is that like, uh, it turns out people wanted that. <laughs> people needed that, you know? They did. You've you've continued to explore it. I mean, even outside the genre with with stories for children like Maya and the Robot or being one of the people who is uh, ushered Riri uh, Ironheart Williams into, you know, the kind of the cultural lexicon. You've continued to show the possibility of of black girls. It's been such a, a special journey to witness as a reader, as a writer who continues to explore that possibility. What has that journey felt like over the last five years? Oh, you're trying to make me cry. Um, you know, I just got back from New York Comic Con um, this past weekend. And, you know, as a nerd, you know, you, you're my fellow nerd, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, like going, it's like, that's like, dreaming of going to the Oscars or something. When I do signings at comic book stores or, you know, bookstores, um, I always see, you know, these young people and um, certainly very special to me, young black people, young black girls, um, you know, young black kids of all genders, but also white kids, also other kids of color, you know, and they come up to you and they have their, they have their little comic book. They, like they actually read the comic book, you know, they actually maybe like bent it a little or got a little dirty and, you know, <laughs> and I love that. I'm like, you actually read this joint, you know, you didn't just put it in the plastic and save it for retirement. I think that in the last five years to see that shift in our culture um, and to see more and more people telling those types of stories, um, you know, we need more black trans stories. We need more black disabled stories. We need more black undocumented stories, black queer stories, right? You know, not just the, you know, cis, straight, non-disabled, skinny, light-skinned person who, when we were growing up, if, if we got anything, that's who we got. We got this very monolithic mm -hmm. vision very often. Just the fact of the matter is, they get to meet a black woman comic book writer. Also to keep it a buck with you, um, cause you've asked me such very thoughtful questions that reflect such kindness and thought I'm gonna be real candid. You know, I was like, um, there's no way Marvel is gonna let me do this. <laughs> you, know? Like, <laughs> you know, I had the meeting with them. I had the first meeting with them and I walked out and I was like, um, well, that was kind of them because now they can tell people they met with me and they can never email me again. <laughs> you know, I like I figured they were checking a box like, OK, well, you know, you own a DEI due diligence report. That's what you thought. <laughs> no, for real, for real. No, you got it. You know, you got it. Exactly. Um, and I remember walking through that office and feeling like uh, I don't know if I've ever felt so out of place as I did walking through to have that meeting. And it wasn't like a space I where I you. felt like, oh yeah, this is natural and normal. So I really, I didn't think they were going to give me the chance to write anything. And then, you know, I was like, they're going to let, I, I just didn't, 
I've, I figured every second, like, this is the first and last comic book I'm ever going to get to write. And now look where and you now, are. You've you know, Riri exactly. and Spider-Man. I have uh, another comic book about a black woman. Um, Monica Rambeau Photon uh, is coming out um, in December. For people who don't know, Monica Rambeau uh, was one of, she was before the current Captain Marvel who you see in the movies. She was the, you know, she was Captain Marvel. She was a black woman yes. who was a leader of the Avengers. And her publication history goes back 40 years in Marvel Comics. So if you've never read a comic book in your life, but you are a black woman who just wants to read black woman stories, I hope you'll check it out. If you're a hardcore comic book nerd, uh, you will also enjoy it. It's been really cool to watch your journey flourish. Oh, thank you, Jacoby. Thank you for sharing just some of your press time with us here at CityCast Chicago. You know, and again, congratulations on 1919 premiere at Steppenwolf. Thank you, Jacoby. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Governor J.B. Pritzker and GOP candidate Darren Bailey's second debate is tomorrow night live on WGN. Now, while Pritzker is ahead in most polls going into the November election, I checked and the WGN poll, for whatever it's worth, had Bailey winning the first debate 59% to 41%. The Chicago Bulls kick off their season Wednesday in Miami against the Heat and open at home Saturday against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But what y'all think? Y'all think we got enough to contend for a title this year or another year, another first-round playoff exit? Let me know your thoughts at 773-780-0246. Chicago's Jeff Awards are back and recognizing some of the best in Chicago theater tonight at Drury Lane Theater. Shout-out to the director and cast behind Women of Soul for being nominated. I'm going to be real. It was my favorite play-going experience last season. And some good news to get you through. Speaking of stages, I'm back on one tomorrow night at Fitzgerald's in Berwyn for the Moth. I'm hosting, and the theme is grown. Uh, tickets sell fast when your boy is on the bill, but you can join the waiting list now. If you already got tickets, consider dropping your name in the hat and telling a little story for us. As always, I appreciate you for listening. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. Peace. So I had all these copies of Electric Arches and I remember I gave one to, you know, a community member came out. I said, ma'am, would you like a book? She said, oh, what happened? You can't sell them. <laughs> said, I said, well, they're free to sell. You can't, you couldn't sell them here. Okay. Okay, baby. You, you still got a whole bunch of your trunk, right, baby. Exactly. I got and you. So, uh, you know, your people keep it real humble. Keep it real humble. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, Come on over here, y'all. <laughs> Dr. Ewan got her books on the corner. Right, basically. We're just going to take a couple of them back. Help her out. We're going to take a couple of them Help her out. You know, help her out. She ain't running out of space.